Good morning, church. Come on, can we get a little, let's get excited. You guys are already excited because I'm going to tell you what, this is the first time I've ever preached twice in a row. So, like, this is all new for me. But I feel a little bit more loosened up. I mean, the worship team was amazing, and they're a little even more fired up that second time. So I'm thinking good things. I'm feeling good vibes right now for sure. So um, I just want to say thank you, thank you to this church as a whole for your commitment to the jail. I mean, Crossroads is one of the main churches that not only gives funding, but their time and prayer. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are the real deal. You're the real deal and that you, you come in, you, you're praying, and you're supporting us in some powerful, powerful ways. In this service, I'm going to really try to focus on you guys as much as I can because it seemed like the last time I didn't get to look at you all and embrace you all. So I'm going to try to do that this time. But I want to thank uh, Pastor Rod again for this opportunity to come and, to, and share. So um, I'm excited. I'm very excitable. I love amens. You can shout at me. You can talk to me. We can have a conversation while I'm preaching, brother. I'm telling you. I, I, I love that. So um, we're in the book of Mark, as you know, chapter 3. And um, I'm going to read the text. And we can stand while reading. Starting with verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He is driving demons out. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself, he is divided and he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you. People can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and mother. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. That's powerful. Now let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for it is living and active Thank you, Father, for your church, for it is the power of you in the earth today. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of preaching your word. And I pray now, Lord, that I would now decrease and you would increase. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now flood our hearts, open our eyes and our ears to hear and see what you're doing. And, Father, we do, as a church, bind the strong man now 
we rebuke every demonic activity and force, anything that would come to distract. And Father, we ask that your voice would be all that's heard. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's a good start. That's a real good start. So I want to thank Max for the kind introduction. Yes, he was the one in class where we were just kind of looking at each other like, what, did he, what, did he, what does that mean? And does that make any sense? And what? So we kind of bonded through that. But, again, I'm very excited to be here. Um, I've had the privilege for the last three weeks or so to sit on the preaching team or preaching meeting. I don't know what they call it here. But the last three weeks I've been in on that meeting. And uh, it's been just fantastic just to walk throughout the text and just sit with people that are way more smarter than I am and just hear their view of what we see happening in the text. So it's just been amazing. But I feel like God has put something in me. Amen? I feel like he's put something in me to share today. And my hope is, how many of you know you need to come to church with some hope and some expectation? Amen? You need to. I mean, you go, when I was, was out in the world and I'm going to the club and all that stuff, I, can, I had an expectation. Yeah. I was going to have a good time. We were going to, you know what I mean? You need to have an expectation when you come to church as well. Otherwise, you can become very complacent. And that's where we find ourselves in the text today. The church has become complacent. And when people become complacent, it's hard to add value. It's hard for the church to really be what it needs to be when it's complacent. There needs to be attention at all times, making you aware of who you're supposed to be. And that doesn't happen when we're complacent and laxed. And so the way Mark is, the way this letter writes it's very emotional. It's very quick and speedy. Words like immediately, immediately. It's very human. We see, we see the Lord Jesus and all of his divinity, but yet all his humanness too, right? You see where he's upset or angry. He's emotional. It's good to be emotional, I think, in church. Right? You can have some emotions because we're real people. So we're going to have a real conversation today. Is that all right? Can I get an amen from somebody? Can we just, we could talk for a moment. We need that. So I want to I start here and just walk through this. But um, one of the commentaries that I love, had a really good time with, uh, was Timothy Gombas. And he was a professor at Grand Rapids Theological, still there. And he writes this about the, the audience, the, who Mark was intending to write to. The audience are churches that have received the gospel and envision themselves as participants in the kingdom of God, but they have grown complacent and are failing to embody and inhabit the kingdom of God according to its radically cross-shaped character. So we look to the cross and we see some things, don't we? We see some difficulty. We see a mess. We see something we want to look away from or abandon. Right? All is, all is well and Jesus is great and, and we can sing songs, but when, it, when the rubber meets the road, 
in the difficulty of giving him lordship of our life, that's where it gets messy, doesn't it? And if we don't have a proper understanding of that messiness, we can not only grow complacent, but also kind of disengage from the whole thing. I know I'm preaching good right now. And so that's the, the, the audience and the, the context that we're bringing this in. So, so let, let me just start with verse 20, and then we'll just walk through the whole thing again. And what I want to do is the past few weeks, you guys have been hearing about this or Mark and Sandwich, Mark Sandwich, this literary style of a story within a story. Amen. You guys have been paying attention. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is the first time you heard that, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to do a Jason Sandwich, too, because I'm going to add a story within a story within a story, okay? So verse 20, then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. And you've been hearing about the crowds. And Mark doesn't really, in this writing here, in this book, you don't see the crowds as always a positive thing. Right? Just because you got big crowds and all this stuff, I love how Jesus, he really didn't gauge anything by the crowds. Right? He would say things like, I didn't trust myself to them because I knew what was in them. See, crowds sometimes come for different reasons. In, in the jail, we know that people, we have a program in the jail. We have a God pod. It's basically like a church in, in the jail. And we, we've had this. We have two on the men's side and one on the women's side. So it's like a church. And we know that people come to this God pod for different reasons. They come for different reasons. And I was told a long time ago, people come to church for different reasons. We're all here right now for different reasons. Some of us are even waiting for that reason to be done so we can leave. (laughs) But God in his sovereignty has set us all here today. For his purposes. See, it's one thing to have your plan and your purpose and what you think you're doing, and then God will come and interrupt. That's why I love him so much. Because he's a great interrupter, isn't he? He interrupts our plans. He interrupts our lives for his purposes. The crowds are gathering. So much so that he's not even able to eat. This is the second service. I'm hungry right now. Usually I would eat already. (laughs) He can't even take care of himself right now. So the crowds are gathering. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, and they said he is out of his mind. They think he's crazy. The first reading of this, you think, well, how can they say that? Like, look at Matthew and look at Mary and the angel spoke to her, and, you know, she carried the baby. And, like, what, this is, how can you think? This is, what, it's happening, right? The vision you had and all, it's happening now. But it's happening in a way that they didn't expect, isn't it? I wonder if we miss God by that very same line of thinking. I want God to move in my life, but I want him to move in my way, Right? I'm just, am I the only one that does that? I want him to move in my life, but it needs to be on my terms. Ooh, I'm preaching now. It needs to be on my terms. 
And so how could this Jesus be the Messiah when he's talking to all these people that ain't got no business being in church today? You got sinners and tax collectors, you got prostitutes, you got, uh-uh, this, you done lost your mind, son. If we back up a little bit in verse uh, 6, chapter 3, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Maybe this got back to the family too. And you know how mothers are. You know how moms are. I know they ain't trying to hurt my boy. They want to go and some texts say seize him, protect him, not even knowing in that protection it was actually going against the will of God. Ooh, I know that's good, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep going right here. Listen. And the teachers of the law who came down, right, the ones that we already heard that someone, they're, they're, they're breathing out murderous types of things. So it's very serious. This is, this is serious what's happening right now. Now we're the family members maybe just worried about their reputation, right? What will people think of us? What will they think if, you know, our son is out here doing, oops, that's serious, sorry. Last week, you heard how God was establishing his church by calling his disciples to himself. God is initiating that. I love how God initiates. He's the one that begins things in our lives. I love that in Genesis, when, when the fall comes, you see it was God that came looking for him. Don't you love that? Yes. He initiates. And so God called them, Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables in a way that they could understand. I love that. God is so gracious to us. Leaves us with no excuses. Look, I'm going to break this thing down to you, brother. Come over here. Come gather around real quick, all of you, in your fancy suits and your outfits and everything. Come sit real quick because we're just going to break this down real easy and, and simplistic. How can Satan drive out Satan? And why would he want to do that? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. I'm going to pause right there for a second. In Ephesians, we'll read things like the, the God of this world, the prince of this world has blinded those that are in darkness. They're held captive. So far in this text, 
chapter 3, we're seeing God move and establish his church. And we've already seen him do healing. And, and spirits are even crying out that he is God. And throughout this book, you'll hear Jesus say, don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody. Even the demons are crying out and acknowledging who he is. They acknowledge his power, but they will not acknowledge his lordship. And that's interesting right there. Because it seems like the church does the same thing. And when I say the church, I mean us people, individuals in the church. This is what we do. We acknowledge his power. We sing it. But when it comes to lordship, there's difficulty there. Because lordship has to do with him having Authority over all of our lives, doesn't it? That doesn't mean that we get to pick and choose. I wish we could. There's some things I wish I could do. But those things usually aren't very beneficial. Amen? So now there's this stronger than, and I love any text that talk about strength. I just love strength. I grew up in a... Incredible Hawk. I had the underoos and everything. Ugh, I take my shirt off as a kid. I just love strength. Arnold Schwarzenegger, all that strength is. I just loved it. For some reason, just just it, I got in. I got into working out because I was short and I was, lived in a rough neighborhood. I had to do something. So strength was, you know, what I was after. So I love this. There's someone that is stronger. Now imagine that. You're living in a society, you're seeing all the, isn't it interesting, all these demon-possessed people are shown. So much so it says that some, they're crowding him. There's sickness and disease and all this. This, this. The enemy has everyone bound in a sense. And that's how he has all of us prior to Christ. And you don't even know it. That's what's so diabolical about it. But Jesus is now claiming that one is stronger than he is there. That's so powerful to me. I love getting behind or behind someone or alongside someone that's stronger than me. You know what I mean? You get some people that are bigger and stronger than you, you're like, yeah, come on, you know, you just have a, you just feel a little bit tougher, you know? And Jesus comes and he's stronger. He binds the enemy so that he can plunder all that belongs to him. Those are souls. Those are people. Bound. He's untying them. He's releasing them. I want to share how this text right here has really shaped or, or formed my life in a sense. Like this, this binding thing, this being released from captivity is why I'm standing up here today. I grew up in Muskegon. Anybody from Muskegon? No one from Muskegon? I got some, one Muskegon. 
All right, Muskegon. Scripps Pizza, all that. Yeah, the beach. We got a beach. I grew up in Muskegon. I grew up in a time, I'm 46 years old now. I grew up in a time where, um, um, so my dad's black, my mother's white. That wasn't so, you know, prevalent then. It wasn't, you didn't see that a lot, at least in the school that I was in. So I got teased a lot. My dad was very abusive. He wasn't abusive to, to us kids. I have an older brother and a younger sister, but he was very abusive to my mother. And so he would beat my mother. I've heard screams and shouts and broken glass and all this stuff time and time again. And the pattern was when this occurred, then yelling would start, the lamps would start breaking and all this stuff. My older brother would jump out. We lived in an apartment. There was a downstairs and upstairs. My older brother would jump out of the window, climb down the antenna. We had antennas back then to watch TV. You only had three or four stations or whatever. He would climb down there, go next door and call the police. The police would come. We'd feel safe. My dad would leave. And that was just kind of our pattern. Then he'd get a restraining order and we'd feel safe for a while that he wasn't coming around. But when people are in bondage and enslaved, you don't even, you you don't think rationally. And so it would only take a few whispers from my dad, a few conversations before he'd be back in our house again and it would occur over and over and over again. And I'm not naive to think that that may be even occurring to someone in this church right now. So my upbringing was dysfunction all the way around. Brokenness. My dad wasn't there, so I looked to my older brother as my dad. I wanted to be like my older brother. My brother sold drugs, got in trouble, uh, was kicked out of uh, junior high, and that's as far as he went. So I thought, that's going to be my goal. I'm going to sell drugs. I'm going to get kicked out of school, and that'll be as far as I go. Because I had learned how to survive in that way. And, and, And the enemy has you in a way where what normal may seem normal to you is very off. And dysfunctional, but you can sit in some of that as you're, you're normal. And so that was my, my background. We had no, no church. We didn't go to church. We didn't have people inviting us to church. Although at, later on in life, I would, I would soon realize that a lot of people around me were Christians. Man, that makes me so mad when I say that. Because here I am living in a pit of desperation and just no hope at all. And all they want to do is call the police on me. But they don't want to invite me. Or maybe they had grown complacent. Ooh. Maybe, maybe they had grown complacent. Maybe, maybe that, that cross type of lifestyle, that suffering servant lifestyle really wasn't in them. Because that might inconvenience them. Right? We, we can't be inconvenienced. It needs to be on my timetable and, and in my plan. As I would get older, I did get kicked out of Muskegon Public Schools. From then, I just hung out, drank, partied, whatever, did my thing. Then I fell in love. But it wasn't love, real love, because my wife is here, and that's my real love, love. That's, raise your hand, Julie. 
Yeah, that's her right there. That's my real love. love. But, but this was my first kind of love, and I, and I fell in love. And this, and, and this individual, what, to me, the, the reason I fell in love was because I could, really, because I could go to her house. And when I went to her house, there was this home feeling. I mean, they sat at the table. They ate, they talked, they encouraged one another. And I had never had that. We would sit, watch TV with a plate on our lap and just, you know, kind of whatever. It was just this feeling. It was what God has placed in us, right? This sense of community, this longing for community, the church. And so I fell in love. A couple years or so goes by and she realizes that I'm not doing anything with my life. So she breaks up with me, and I'm devastated. Have you ever been there? Besides him, has anyone else ever been there? (laughs) Anyone. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I was so brokenhearted. I was just to a point. I mean, it's funny. when When you're in that place, when you're in that place of desperation, and you're just, it's almost like you want to be more depressed. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I'm in my basement listening to slow music, same song over and over and over and over again. That, that's, I mean, we laugh about it, but that's crazy. And I think about this strong man and all this demonic work. And it's almost like some of the things that we say and we, we're proclaiming out of our mouth and acting out, it's like those demons see it and they just gather. I got another, I got a good one over here. And there's more, and it compounds, and you get to a point where you just just bent over to a sense. And that's where I was, without any hope. And my home growing up was just so filled with brokenness. Everything was broken. Our front door was one of those wood pane with the glass, you know, but the glass was broken. And so you had the plastic with the duct tape, so when you heard someone knock, it just had this weird sound. You know what I mean? It was just everything broken around you. When everything's broken around you, it's hard to find hope. Imagine even our lives. If everyone's broken around you. If no one's really clinging to the cross and bringing about a godly perspective on things, how can you give anyone any hope? The church has the hope. Oh, you need to get more excited than that. The church has the hope. Not a program, not not some new type of teaching. The church is the hope of the world. Now, I didn't know that. I didn't know that when this was all happened. I didn't have no hope. And so I thought, you know, I'm I'm just going to, I'm going to take my life. Now, I had already been taking pills that night just to, to, to get to sleep. And I know as I'm talking right now, there's people doing that same thing. Maybe it isn't the pills. Maybe it's something else that you're taking just to get to sleep. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I'm going to go buy some pills tomorrow. I'm going to take all the pills. I'm going to come back home and just go downstairs and go to sleep. Now, During this time of this relationship with this girl that I was in, there was a neighbor lady 
that every once in a while she would come and invite me to church. I thought it was the weirdest thing. It was just so crazy to me. She would come over, and, and here, I got to tell you this too. Our house was, my house was the party house, meaning that my mom was an in-home nurse, so she'd be gone on the weekend, so our house was free reign. That's the party house. On the weekends, you came to my house. Everything was at my house. We partied all weekend long. She would come over, knock on the door, that raggedy door, and just ask, hey, I was just wondering if you wanted to go to church today. And I just looked at her. (laughs) Think about that. Think about how the Holy Spirit worked on her heart. And how many excuses must have come up not to cross that street. And we had, we're nothing but thugs at my house. I mean, sitting on the, the front step, 40s with the brown bags, everything. You know, pl- bat, passing blunts. Every, I mean, it was crazy. And she just comes over there and just invites me. She came over a few times, too. Each time I told her, no, no, I'm not going to. One time she realized this gym that I used to go to, she, she would work out there sometimes, too. I stopped going. And she came over and asked me, why aren't you going to the gym no more? I said, I ain't really got the money for it. She came over a few days later with the gym membership. And she said, she said, I, I think you really need to be doing this. It's something positive for you. And she's building a bridge. See, God is demonstrating right now in this moment how you can easily and practically build bridges to people that he has called. See how easy that is? All she did was realize what, he was in, what I was interested in and all this stuff and begin to move towards that. So I, I got up the mor- in the morning, fast forward a little bit, I, I, I got up in the morning that morning, I, I, I had the plan, I went to go buy the pills. Before I did that, I gave my mom a hug and my sister a hug. And that seems simple, but that's strange in our family because we didn't hug. We didn't hug, we didn't tell each other how we cared about one another, we didn't support each other. It was just a whole different type of family. And so I gave them a hug. They looked at me kind of strange, and I left, and it's kind of raining out, and I'm crying too, that hard cry, that (laughs) type of cry, you know that. (laughs) And on the way home, something told me, go to the lady that's been inviting you to church. And I'm a mess too. I mean, there's no, why would I do that? Go to the lady that's inviting you to church. So I went, I knocked on the door. She answered the door. I said, look, I'm thinking about taking my life. I really don't want to do it. And something told me to come here. And she got a huge smile on her face. She got a huge smile on her face. She said, come on in. She was like, this is why I've been inviting you to church. God has a call on your life. I said, okay, well, well, I'm in pain here. Can he help me with this pain? Because I, I, I don't feel like living no more. My girl left me. I don't have a GED. I don't have anything. I don't have a car. I don't have nothing. I don't have no hope. You know, God is a God of hope. Hope. That's so valuable. Hope. Just having hope. I'm at a place where I had no hope. And she began to tell me about what Jesus did. And I don't really remember what she was telling me. All I locked into was, 
he could take this pain away. And it goes back to these crowds here. These crowds and the people following Jesus. And they're really, the Messiah thing and all that, that's, ah, okay. Well, but this bread, he's, we're getting bread, you know, fish, all this stuff. You know, you're healing people, all these things. After God for something. And so I say a prayer. I think that's how you get in the club. That's what she said I need to do. I said the prayer. She gave me a coffee cup that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love that. I wish I still had that cup. I was like, at this point, it, that scripture, it's so funny how scriptures mean different things for you in different seasons of your life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, I'm not going to take my life tonight. And I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it till tomorrow morning. Then I'm going to go to the last temporary service place that I haven't got fired from, and I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to win this girl back. That was my, that's what it meant to me. That's what that scripture meant to me. It didn't have nothing to do with purpose and all this stuff. It was just I'm getting a job, and I'm winning her back. So, so, so she gave, yeah, yeah. So, so she gave, so, so she gives me, she gives me a Bible. I go home. I got the coffee cup. I'm praying. Then probably she's a little bit older than me. I'm like 18 or 19 years old. Probably around 2.33 in the morning I hear a, it's her. She's come, she's come back. This prayer thing, it works. I was like, praise God, this works. She comes in. She stays the night. The next morning she sobers up. I'm just glad to see her. And she says, I'm really sorry I came last night. I shouldn't have came here. And I'm like, what, 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 do you, what do you mean? You should, I mean, I got a coffee cup. I got my Bible. What do you, what do you, what, I mean, this is, this, no, this ain't how it works. She says, you're not going to do anything with your life, you know. So, but I'm still clinging to the hope that I just got. So I figured that's fine. She leaves. I'm going to take the bus. I'm going to go downtown and I'm, I'm going to get this job. Long story short, they can't give me a job because I don't have a driver's license. I fill out the paperwork. I do all this stuff. I'm excited. I got the scripture almost memorized now, I think, by now. And it's still, you know. They tell me that they can't give me a job. And I remember thinking, I, got, I don't know how I'm going to walk from this booth here to the door with just, without just breaking down. Because I'm back to that point where I was crying and walking down the road that day. So I called my mom. I said, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm in tears. I'm crying. You know. She says, look, I don't have time for this. You need to call that lady across the street, the church lady. She can deal with this. <laughs> That's what she told me. See, the church is designed to deal with messy stuff. The messy stuff. Not just the clean stuff, but the messy stuff. The cross is messy, isn't it? And it's in the messy stuff that God does his best work. I often say, don't abort the crisis. Because it's the crisis that's leading you towards to what God is doing. He's getting your attention. Amen. And that day, before I'm knocking on the door, I was at the best place I could be. Because I was at a place where God could now deal in my heart. And I could listen to his voice. Because I needed help. And he's close to the brokenhearted, isn't he? 
So I call her. She comes to pick me up. She says, I'm taking you to church. That's what she said. And she said it like, I'm like, whoa, church. You know, it, it's kind of scary. You know, people be, can be scared to come to church. Did you know that? A lot of the inmates in the jail, these hardcore brothers, you know, scared to come into church settings. Going to church. So she introduced me to a guy named Rodney Stevens. Rodney Stevens takes me into a room, asks me what's going on. I told him I'm thinking about taking my life. I'm, man, my life's a mess. I'm, you know, this ain't working for me. That ain't working for me. I can't get a job. I'm living in this junky house. My mom's strung out on this and that. I ain't got no hope. He said, God's going to change your life today. He said, you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, Holy Spirit, that, Renee didn't say anything about the Holy Spirit. What is <laughs> This is a package deal. I didn't know anything about um, what is. So I'm thinking, okay, there's something I'm missing here maybe. So anyways, he takes me in the room. And now, remember, we're talking about Jesus now talking about binding the strong man. One who is stronger. And now I started smoking weed and taking drugs and all that stuff right around fifth or sixth grade. I was taking acid in sixth grade. I was smoking crack in high school. I mean, they had done all types of crazy stuff. I'm sleeping around. I'm being promiscuous, all this stuff. Don't, those are things that allow demonic forces to work in your life. And you can play around with it all you want, but you're opening yourself up for the enemy to work in your life. You're giving him residence so he can come in and take place and set up shop. And then you wonder why you don't have any peace, you don't have any hope, where you have allowed the enemy to come in and shut up, set up shop. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his main mission. We should talk about that more in the church because he's just not trying to give you bad thoughts or make you feel bad. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants your business to fail. He wants his church to fail. He wants you depressed and broken down daily. If we would really get a, a good understanding of that, we'd think twice before we kind of allow him just to come in in his, in his ways. So this is all in this, my life is just, which is leading to death and I don't want to live. And no wonder why all this junk is in me. And so Ronnie says, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit today. Praise God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, he, I got oil right here. I'm, I'm going to take this oil and put this oil on your hands and on your head. And I say that now when I should. Back then I was like, hold up, this is kind of weird here. Like this is a strange man. He's talking about oil. Put, put it on my, you know what I mean? I'm just saying. It's, it's a little bit. But when you're desperate, they, whatever. I, do what you got to do. I, I want to be healed. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I can't sleep at night. I can't think right. My mind ain't right. I have no hope. I'm desperate. You could have poured all the oil on me. I don't care. Help me, Lord. That's where I'm at. Help me, Lord. Sometimes that's what your prayer has to be. It doesn't need to be fancy. Lord, help me. I need you to help. I need you to help my family. I need you to teach me how to be a husband, a father. I don't know how to do that. Lord, help me. Sometimes you got to pray like that. I don't mean to come hard at you right now, but sometimes you got to pray like that. You got to be desperate. 
And I'm desperate. And he begins to pray. He says, I feel the Holy Spirit about to fill you right now. He touched my stomach. I started throwing up. I started throwing up. And I'm like, whoa. I'm, I started apologizing to him. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I threw up on the carpet. He grabs a bucket. He has a bucket with a towel in there already. And I see Dean back there, so he's probably seen this a whole bunch of times anyways. He gives me the towel. I wipe my head. He's like, I got, I got to keep praying for you. God wants to feel you even more. He keeps praying for me. And he's listening. Right now, he says, boom, touches my stomach. I throw up again. But this time, I felt like something had just entered my body almost. Something had changed. I felt like, like I, I can't exp- explain what I felt, but I felt an energy. Like something, a weight was taken off me, something. I ran out of the room. The church lady was out sitting in the hallway. I said, I need to, we got to go right now. Because there's a church service in a few hours, and I need to be back. Jesus is in me. He is in me. See, see. See, the strong man had been bound. He explained to me later, I would meet with this guy. 20, 30 years later, I asked him, you know, I've been to seminary, did this and that. I don't know what happened that day. And this is what happened to me. This isn't prescriptive in any way. This is what happened in me. He said, brother, your story was similar to mine. It was similar to mine, and I could see that the enemy had you bound. So first we had to cast out all that demonic stuff in you. There was some stuff in you. Then we had to fill you up. That was the second time. You got filled up. This is what the cross allows for us today. The strong man is bound. He is bound. The enemy doesn't have power over the church, or those in the church, by the blood of Christ. He, they have no, he has no power over us at all. But if we agree with him, that's where we give him power. We can be free. You can be free in Christ. In Christ alone. Ooh, that sounded kind of good, didn't it, Julie? <laughs> I, I like that. I don't, I don't usually do that. <laughs> he was bound. Someone stronger had come. Truly, I tell you. Verse 24, truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. That is just so precious to me. Because he's saying this, he's giving them a warning now. After all they have said and done, they're blaspheming his name and calling him all types of things. He's still giving them an opportunity, a warning here. He's warning them because they're getting to a point where you're about to cross the line of some things you say that have eternal consequences. God is gracious. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven they are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. That's important to take note of that now his biological family is standing outside. And who's sitting amongst him now? That's right. His disciples would have been there. Maybe some of these religious teachers some other Gentiles, the people that were on the outside are now inside, bringing people in. 
that the religious institute would say they shouldn't be in. That would have been me. You all as the church, there's people every day, including myself, that we're passing by that all we need to do is extend an invitation. And this church is amazing. I mean, that worship, I mean, I wish I could preach on worship for a second because worship is where the power of God is now demonstrated amongst us. And it's in the presence of worship. For those of you men that don't know how to worship, you, you don't want to sing, there's power in the worship. And you have a worship team here that can lead you in the presence every Sunday. I'm telling you, this is a church you can invite people to invite and detach yourself from the outcome. They may say no. I don't care if they say no. I'm doing what God told me to do. He told me to invite you. I don't want you to come either, but he told me to bring you. (laughs) Right? It's true. A lot of people, you don't want to bring them, but hey, God wants, come on, let's go. Bringing the outsiders in. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mothers and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, and mother doing the will of God. The will of God. This is, so, this is so jarring because it's real clear here. Like how do you know if you're doing, how do I know who my brothers and sisters are? Well, clearly here it's saying that they're doing the will of God. Does that mean they're perfect anyway? I don't think so. To me it means even in my mess, I have a spirit of repentance, right? So not perfect anyway, but I'm, I'm bringing my stuff to the church, to the people, to the community of believers and asking God to move in all of that. I'm in the inside now because of what Christ has done. He's bound the strong man. Amen? Man, that's a good word. I wish you would be a little bit more excited. That's, that's good. That's good. It's good. He's bound him. Joel, could you come up and play just on the... Yeah. And what about the keyboard guy? Could you play on the keyboard? I love the keyboard. <laughs> and I just want, I want, I want, to, I want to pray as you're just doing the key, keys and the and guitar and all. I, I, just, I believe that we have a moment right now. I believe that this is a moment right now. You know, you have before and after moments in life, right? You can go back to times where, man, God did something in my life. I believe by faith that we can have that moment right now in this place. I believe that there are people here that have been praying. You've been interceding. You've been asking God to free you in areas. I don't know what that area may be. God knows. And to do that, it takes a level of boldness. Right? We see earlier in Mark, they're going through the roof to get down. Their faith is that strong. They're going through a roof. I'm wondering if there's anyone here today that needs God to move in their life and free them. And I'm wondering if you're bold enough 
to just stand up like I stood up with Rodney that day with the oily hands and say, that's me, God. Amen. Amen. This is a moment right now where God is going to move upon people for his namesake and free you. Who wants that freedom? Amen. I just want you to stand up. Amen. And don't let the enemy rob you of this moment either. Don't let him rob you. Don't let him whisper, what are they going to say? What is she going to say? All that stuff. If you hear that, you need to stand up. This is the day. The text says that he binds the strong man. The blood of Christ is our hope. The blood of Christ is what frees us. The blood of Christ is what delivers us. The church of God is what cares for us. Amen? Yeah. We're the church, people. God wants to move in his church, and it's going to take boldness. His people must be bold. Amen? I'm going to pray for all you standing up, and I want everyone else to be praying too. This is the day for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for your power. I thank you for your anointing. And I'm going to ask those standing, just raise your hands right now. Just raise your hands. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come now and just fill them. Fill their hearts and their minds. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you begin to do a deep work in them right now. I pray, Father, that fear, depression, doubt, past wounds, Lord, that you're healing them now by the power and the blood of Christ. And so in this moment, we believe by faith that you're doing that, Father. We give you thanks. We shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We are free in you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We pronounce freedom in the house today. In Jesus' name.